Welcome to Palace Confidential, the weekly podcast all about the royal family where we assemble some of Britain's most fabulous experts and commentators and delve into the news coming out of the palaces to keep you royally clued up. I'm your host, Joe Elvin, editor of the Mail on Sunday's You magazine. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple and Google. And if you haven't already, why not sign up for the daily Mail Plus briefing at mailplus.co.uk, where you can also watch Palace Confidential on video. Hello and welcome to Palace Confidential. It's your one-stop shop for all matters royal, brought to you from Mail Plus HQ in Kensington. I'm Jo Elvin and joining us for today's show are my fabulous panel, Sarah Vine, star columnist at the Daily Mail and the Mail on Sunday and the Daily Mail's diary editor, Richard Eden. Dream team. Welcome both of you. Now to kick off the show, we're going to head straight to the Daily Mail's royal editor, Rebecca English, who's in Cardiff today for the royal opening of the Welsh Parliament. We'll come back to that in a minute. But first, Prince William has been making headlines today, Rebecca. He has, hasn't he? Um, This is all ahead of his Earthshot Prize on Sunday. And he gave an interview to BBC Newscast in which he talked about the space race and how he believes we should be focusing on fixing the issues that we've got on this planet rather than trying to discover new ones. (laughs) Um, And what is the conversation, do you think, behind the scenes before um, when someone as senior as Prince William comes out with those sorts of comments? I mean, this is something he's actually tackled before. So it's obviously an issue he feels very strongly about uh, and is determined to speak on. Um, And of course, they didn't know that uh, William Shatner, Captain Kirk himself, was going to be going into space at the day that the um, broadcast was made public. Um, But, uh, you know, he's not backing down from them at all. Um, And this is obviously something he feels really, really very strongly about. Do you think he'll incur the wrath of Trekkies around the world? Probably. I think they're quite a passionate breed, probably more passionate about Captain Kirk than Royal Watchers are about the Royal Family. Thank you for that, Rebecca. Well, of course, Prince William speaking out on environmental issues shows him following in the path of his father, Prince Charles, who is infamously outspoken when it comes to the environment. Speaking to the BBC this week, Charles discussed his green causes, his sympathy for Extinction Rebellion protesters and how one of his cars runs on wine and cheese. Well, I mean, I've been running on wine and cheese for 30 years, but hey, whatever works for you. Now, Jess King has taken a look back at his green dreams. The Prince of Wales is speaking up for the planet again. In the gardens of his house on the Balmoral Estate in Aberdeenshire, Charles said world leaders needed to do more than just talk and added that he'd made changes in his own life to reduce his carbon footprint. For years, I've, uh, I haven't eaten meat and fish on two days a week. And I don't eat dairy products on one day a week. Now, I mean, that's one way to do it. If you did that... If more did that, you would reduce a lot of the pressure on the environment. But just how green is the future king? He's tackled environmental issues for many decades and been a vocal advocate for sustainable farming. But conservationist Chris Packham thinks more could be done, starting in the royal's own backyard. He recently joined hundreds of campaigners urging the Crown to commit to rewilding their vast estates. They are significant landholders. 800,000 acres of the UK, more than twice the size of Greater London. 1.4% of the UK's land surface is owned by our royal family. And when it comes to the rural parts of that land ownership, quite considerable 
sections of it are in what I would call poor ecological condition. And we might say Balmoral, for instance, the, uh, the estate that they have in Scotland, is largely given over to deer stalking and driven grouse shooting, which means there are very few trees, and yet it should be a temperate rainforest with a much richer biodiversity. So I think at this critical time, when rewilding is part of a toolkit that we need to exercise and use as rapidly and as urgently as possible to address our climate and environment emergency, it would be a grand and important, meaningful gesture if the royal family said, yeah, okay, we own all of this land and we can make it a better place for people and wildlife and we're going to do it now because now's the critical point. Well, the Royal Estate says it has a long history of conservation and it's always looking for ways to make further improvements. Some of Prince Charles's ideas are pretty radical. For example, he's converted his beloved Aston Martin to run on cheese and wine. Yes, it is possible, but I will leave you to work out the mechanics of that one. Some argue that the life of a prince isn't really compatible with eco-friendly values. But royal author Victoria Murphy says the heir to the throne has always been ahead of the crowd when it comes to environmental awareness. Prince Charles has, to up to a point, implemented his philosophies about the environment into the way that he lives his lifestyle. But I think that there's always going to be an inevitable conflict between him advocating for a greener lifestyle and then having this life as a working royal where he jets around the world in normal times on multiple trips a year. Very often his trips are on private jets. Um, and I think you know his team have spoken about that in the past. They've said that he chooses to stick his neck out on this issue that he really, really cares about and has cared about for a long time time, despite knowing that because of his position, he can't fully control his carbon footprint. But that does expose him to allegations of hypocrisy. I think what is significant about Charles's position here is that he, it's very clear that there's nothing performative about his interest in these issues. He's been doing this for a very long time, talking about these subjects for a very long time, way before it was fashionable, way before he was praised for doing so, and dedicated a huge amount of his life to these issues. And so I think that that gives him a credibility in this space. And there's a sincerity to the way that he does this that I think mitigates against the fact that, of course, as a working royal, he is also jetting around the world. Next month, the royals will attend the United Nations Conference in Glasgow, where world leaders will discuss actions to limit climate change. And Britain's future king will be hoping that people are finally paying attention. I'm going to come to you first, Sarah, on our panel. Do you welcome William's intervention when it comes to space exploration? Well, I'm a bit conflicted here because I'm very excited about Captain James T. Kirk <laughs> finally blasting off into space because, like you, I'm a bit of a Trekkie. Um, so I'm sorry, I'm just tickled pink by him finally, finally getting up there. I mean, I think that um, there is something a little bit, uh, uh, I don't know, inappropriate about Jeff Bezos firing his massive penis-shaped rocket into space for three minutes for no real good reason. Um, and so I do think uh, William has a point. I mean, yes, I, I imagine it's cost quite a lot of rocket fuel to send a rocket up for three minutes. And what happened to the willy? Does that come back down or is it, is it, does, no, it does it, it obliterate again. into no, space? No, it goes up and no, no, because otherwise then you'd have to obliterate Captain James T. Kirk. No, 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 so because they came back in a little capsule, you oh, see. Yes, so that's I think why I'm bits wondering. of it go off, yeah. don't they? Yeah. But, I, but so yes, I suppose it is a little bit wasteful. It is a sort of rich man's game. And um, I suppose William's point is that if he spent as much money as he does firing his willy into, into space on improving the environment, then things would be better on the planet. The question, I suppose, really is, 
is it William's place to intervene in these issues? Well, and, it's a rather dangerous you know, position for a royal because uh, a lot of people feel like the royal family is quite a, a public expense that could go elsewhere. Exactly. And also yeah. traditionally, they've always really sort of kept out of these kind of debates. But, unlike, but then, you know, Charles has always been out, uh, very outspoken about the environment and that's fine. But then, you know, he talking about Extinction Rebellion and how he sympathises with them. It's very well, it's all very well for him. He lives a very privileged lifestyle. He doesn't have to, um, you know, he can't, you know, he's not being stopped from getting to work no. and losing a whole day's wages because somebody is sitting in front of his van on the M25. That's the reality of this for a lot of people. So there are, you know, it's all about perspective, isn't it? And personal experience. And I, and you know, it's, I'm sure that he didn't convert his own car to run on wine and cheese. Someone did it for him. You know, it's, it's fine if you come from a position of, of, of great privilege, but just be slightly aware that your experience is perhaps not everybody else's. Mm. And what do you think of the timing of William's comments? He's not really made any public statements with these opinions before. No, it's very interesting. I mean, personally, I think if I was an advisor to Prince William, I would say that for a man who's got great um, hereditary privilege and um, great wealth, it's not a great idea to be sort of um, criticising self-made men for what they choose mm. to spend their money on. Um, I don't think it's a great route to go down, really, even if um, you sympathise with some of the points that Prince William's making. But remember, you know, humans by nature, we're explorers. We want to explore great frontiers. And I know this might be a bit of sort of space tourism. I think there are plans. They have great plans for what they want to do in the future. Mm. And I think isn't that... You know, in the past, we had royal families funding exploration, whether it was sending people mm. around the world or other things. So I'm not sure that it's a great move for Prince William to go down this um, route of um, being against any innovation. I think that um, William is very much a millennial. He comes from that perspective there. You know, that generation don't... Uh, you know, don't keep their opinions to themselves. Mm. They don't. They don't really follow pro protocol in the way that the older generation does. So I, I, I think to an extent he's just doing what comes naturally to him, which is expressing himself. But I just think that I think your point is 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 I think Richard's point is very good. You know, you 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 are slightly in a glass house. You do need to be a little bit careful about what stones you throw, mm. um, and just choose your battles very carefully. And I think it's interesting, isn't it, Richard, that. There's a lot of environmental themes with the royal family. Now you've got William with his Earthshot Prize, Harry and Meghan who are at the UN, and this week Princess Eugenie talking about the oceans. Is there a danger that it all becomes white noise and people mm. switch off? I think there is a real danger. And we've got, at the moment, we've got a real problem with energy prices that um, at the moment and over the coming year, people are really starting to are going to feel those um, the sort of damage their lifestyle in terms of what things are costing. So to then have endless lectures from very rich, privileged people, mm. I think is a problem. And um, the royals don't want to get stuck in that. So, you know, it's brilliant, um, the projects they're doing. And I think Prince William's Earthshot Prize that we're going to see the prizes this weekend is fantastic because it's all about encouraging ideas. How can we improve things? And it's really positive, optimistic. But we 
they shouldn't go down this route of just endless lectures. But also what we're really talking about here is is the royal family getting quite heavily involved in politics. Yeah. And that's fundamentally something that they've never traditionally done. And that is a real departure. And, but it also seems like this extreme acceleration mm. by comparison yeah. in that. Well, why, why is that happening? Well, again, I think it's partly to do with their generation. I think it's partly to do with the younger royals. And I think maybe that, you know, there's, there's an aspect of Harry and Meghan who are, who are doing so much of this kind of stuff over in America. I think Perhaps, perhaps they feel that they have to try and appeal to their market a little bit as yeah. well. And that if they don't speak out, then people will criticise them for not caring. Uh, you know, it, that it's. I think it may be slightly a response to social media pressure and all that kind of stuff. It's understandable. But they just need to be a bit careful because it's very easy to be sort of seduced by that need. But actually, you end up getting yourself in a real pickle over it. And I think they might be, uh, you know, this idea that like the BBC the royal family are supposed to be above politics is quite important to their fundamental identity. Do you think the Queen, and, Queen Elizabeth's are going, I told you, <laughs> I told you, never complain, never explain. Exactly, exactly, exactly. I mean, the thing about the, the, thing about the eco issue is that in, in many ways it's a sort of no-brainer. No one is going to say, oh, no, 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 I don't want the planet to be made a better place. So it's also quite a soft issue. You know, and that I think in itself is a bit of a problem because, you know, if you're going to make this big fundamental change and you're going to turn the, the royal family into a political uh, vehicle for political views, then you need to really sit down and think what it is that you want to stand for because, mm. you know, that is a big change. That is a really big move away from tradition. Watch this space. Well, let's bring Rebecca back in as Charles is joining the Queen today at the Welsh State Opening of Parliament, which is where Rebecca is now in wild and windy Wales. Rebecca, the Queen isn't flying solo today. She has Prince Charles and the Duchess of Cornwall by her side. But what are they trying to tell us with this trio? She does. And I think it's actually really significant, uh, just as they were with her at the opening of the Scottish Parliament only a couple of weeks ago. And I think this is all about presenting uh, the image of the monarchy uh, that we are going to see going forward. It's the Queen with her son and her heir by her side. And he will be obviously at some point in the future be stepping into her shoes and, and doing the job. And I think it's all about emphasising that closeness and continuity. Mm. Now, the Queen was in the papers this week as well for using a walking stick for the first time. Um, you know, at 95, that's pretty good going, right? It is. In some ways, it's not a surprise. And I was with her just now here at the uh, Senate for the, for the opening of the Welsh Parliament. And again, she was using a stick. So that's the second time we've seen her doing that in public. Um, and she definitely looked slightly frailer, I think, than I've seen her before. She has lost quite a bit of weight. But again, that's inevitable for a woman her age. But she was on great form, smiling, laughing, joking, chatting to people, which I think was quite incredibly, uh, incredibly reassuring to see. And I'm told, you know, this stick is something we're going to see her using more of in public as and when the occasion, you know, uh, deems it necessary. And of course, she was on her feet here, moving around the building for, for well over an hour. So, you know, I think it's quite understandable in, in situations like this. So looking ahead and Prince William has a major event coming up this weekend. He does. I can't believe uh, you've missed it, Joe. Uh, any mention of it, at least. It is the Earthshot Prize Award. It's going to be on Sunday at the Alexandra Palais in London. And this is a massive, massive initiative for William. He's got together uh, 
backers, uh, ecologically minded backers such as himself, and they are going to be giving out £50 million worth in prizes over the next decade to people who are finding solutions to solving the climate change crisis. Um, he, he's poured heart and soul into this. It's going to be broadcast on the BBC. There is a, an all-star lineup. Um, and uh, yeah, this is something he is going to devote the next 10 years of his life to. Meanwhile, I believe that uh, Prince William's brother and sister-in-law have another new job. Funnily enough, they do. Um, yes, not content with, I think, being authors, coffee makers, uh, podcasters, broadcasters, uh, Harry and Meghan are now becoming bankers. They've invested in and have now become the um, the partners of uh, an asset management company called Epic. And it's all about trying to invest people's uh, money in, yes, you've guessed it, more ethical causes. Of course, Harry and Meghan like to do things in a big way. And uh, they put a statement on their Archwell website in which they said they uh, hope this initiative would change the world. I hope so too. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Sarah, let's start with the new job, the newest job of the many of Harry and Meghan have landed. How much impact do you think they will have with this banking company? Well, it's already a sort of ethical bank. The yeah. thing is, if they were working for a really evil bank and trying to make it ethical, then it might help. But what they're basically <laughs> doing is they're going and working for a bank that is already saying it's ethical. So it's basically they're just going to turn up and say the same thing over and over again. And take the money. And take the money, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, you know, they should really go and work for some very bad people and make them good, but they're not. They're working for some people who are already massively virtue signalling. I mean, can you have an ethical bank is the question I would ask. Wow. Is such a thing possible? I'd like to hope so. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but it seems they're sort of collecting these patronages all over the shop, but this time they're getting paid for them, but the, as what, far as we're aware. I mean, they do... Um, seem to be successful. I mean, the last big one that Prince Harry got involved with was Better Up, the um, company sort of advising businesses on mental health and wellness and all this type of thing. And they announced this week that they've got a huge new investment in the company. So they certainly seem to be good at attracting publicity. But do you think the more they spread it around, doesn't that sort of deplete their value for these companies? Or, you know, are they just... They're just sort of hired. It's like hiring Be David Beckham to promote your perfume. I mean, they're basically just putting their face. You know, you know, you know how like perfume companies will hire a lovely actress to be the face of the brand. They're just being the face of brands. That's I mean, what they're presumably doing. Presumably, they're going to have to limit themselves to a certain number. You couldn't have endless ones. They can't. Well, I don't know. I mean, as Joe says, it probably devalues your brand a little bit. Well, but that's they're... all they're doing. I mean, there's really no difference than, you know. But they can do one bank, one um, soft drink, yes. you know, one um, brand of cereals, you know. No, <laughs> Other they, drinks are available. They could but go how... on forever. I mean, I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud. But how does all of that sort of chime with. Their woke fans, their woke audience, who I would imagine turn their nose up a little bit at being so making so much profit. I guess they probably. I know. Well, assuming, I assume what's going to happen is that the woke bank that they're now working for will get all their woke fans banking with it, which is presumably yeah. the, the which is presumably the aim of it. I mean, it will work for some people, and it will work for a certain period of time. I mean, the question, the bigger question, I guess, is why is it they feel they have to earn such an enormous amount of money? I mean, you know, remember. Uh, Harry complaining that all he had to live on with his was his mother's, you know, inheritance. I have not slept I mean, since I heard about that. I mean, it must be awful yeah. for them. How yeah. dreadful! And you know, if if 
if you have to spend £60,000 on your wardrobe just to go to New York for a few days to promote your book, then I mean, I imagine you do need a lot of these endorsements. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's probably... But no, but let's, let's talk about now this, the subtle succession arrangements that seem yes. to be between Queen and the Charles, and yet the younger royals seem to be wanting to accelerate things in a, in a different way yes you can't help feeling that they do slightly want to skip the neck the the the, the charles generation but i mm. i just don't think that would ever happen i think it's a very tricky balancing act i mean we saw at the james bond premiere when we had um william and um catherine camilla and charles on the red carpet together it did look a bit almost like um charles and camilla with a supporting act yes. for yeah. william and catherine do you think that annoys charles I suspect it does. I mean, people mm. always said how he was uh, um, annoyed by the attention that Diana got. So oh, it's very yes. tricky if, before he even becomes monarch, if he's being eclipsed by his um, younger son. So I think it is sensitive. And I think today, you know, in Cardiff, we've seen um, it's just Charles and Camilla. William and Catherine are not there too. And so they, they will, courtiers will have to handle this whole issue very sensitively. But as we see the Queen um, visibly ageing with her walking mm. stick, um, and then I think that it is a problem because we've got a very old monarch and we're going to have a very I, old... And basically the Queen has only start, just started using a walking stick. Yeah, Sorry, that, is, that is good going. Out? That's yeah. extraordinary yeah. that yeah. she's only really just started is. using a walking stick. I mean, yeah. you know, um, I, think, I think it's also to do with the fact that Kate has sort of, I think, really come into her own and she really is a bit of stardust at the moment, isn't she? <sighs> Let's move on. Well, this week saw another twist in the saga over Prince Andrew's links to the late sex offender Jeffrey Epstein. It was revealed that the Metropolitan Police had decided that no further action would be taken over claims of sexual abuse made by Virginia Roberts Dufra against Prince Andrew. Claims he denies Miss Dufra is still pursuing a civil claim against him in the US courts. We spoke to Di Davies, a former policeman who headed up the Royal Protection Squad, to hear his thoughts on this news. I simply don't understand why, after three reviews, nobody has decided, instead of a review, there should be an investigation. There is a huge difference between reviewing a matter and actually going out, finding witnesses, finding those who can give salient information and actually decide the merits of the case. Merely looking at, uh, I don't know what, in a review, paperwork presumably, looking at what evidence has been given in other extreme uh, circumstances in courts many, many years ago, um, frankly beggars belief. She in a civil case has alleged rape. Now you don't get much more serious and yet the authorities somewhere in Scotland Yard or in the justice system, the Home Secretary, who has decided? I can't believe that it's a mid to level senior police officer without consulting at the highest level um, those in authority. We are talking about one of the most senior royals in the royal family. So somebody surely, I'd have thought, at the highest level has uh, agreed with this decision. And what then leaves the open question is why? Why haven't they queried as I am? I've never encountered such a reluctance to be open and transparent over very serious allegations. So I'm calling for that transparency. I think the public are calling for that transparency. Now, I have to say, Prince Andrew is as innocent as anyone else 
before any evidence, proper evidence, is presented before a court. I, I accept that. But you will never find evidence unless you investigate. I'd look at his protection team. I would look at the records in the Foreign and Commonwealth Office. I would look at the records that his private secretaries could provide. And let's face it, he and his teams have had 10, 11, 12 years to prepare since the original allegations came out, since the original conviction of his friend. All of this, and yet we're now in a position where he's trying to block even going to defend his name in a civil court. And everybody says, well, it's not within our jurisdiction. I say again, yes, it is. Because of the safety of women and the safety of uh, young women in particular in this country has been so highlighted in the last months, really, with various dreadful incidents. And, and they've been committed by police officers. So the public need reassurance that whoever you are, you will be investigated if you are a criminal or it's alleged you're a criminal. And that's where I rest my case. And Richard, there will be relief from Andrew, clearly, obviously. But uh, I think this is going to be unpopular news in some quarters. Yeah, I mean, sources close to him were very quick and very keen to come out and um, say that it was no surprise to him. He's always maintained his innocence and thinks that the whole thing is, is a travesty. Um, but it, it is awkward. It's awkward for everyone. It's awkward for the police because... There's no suggestion of any crime committed in this country. The investigation has always been an American one, and so I think the police here have been more than happy to leave it to the Americans rather than trying to sort of launch their own investigation into the Queen's son. Mm. So I think it's very tricky, but obviously we've got Ghislaine Maxwell's um, court case due to start next month, and this is all going to go... Um, on and on. So um, it, it still leaves Andrew um, in, a, in a very awkward position. Yes. Yeah, so, Sarah, with the police not even speaking to his accuser, it's, you know, he's off the hook in, 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 a, in a sense, but probably not in the way that the royal family might. No, like. I mean, the Met Police have got a bit of an issue at the moment with credibility, I think, anyway, as well. So, and around just, violence against women. <laughs> yes. Yeah. On that particular yeah. subject. So, yeah. you know, you'd have thought that they would have sat down and thought, well, maybe actually we do need to be a bit careful here. But, I mean, I think it's just another kicking into the long grass, kicking into the long grass. I think everybody's trying to avoid this hot potato. I mean, my slight view is that if there's nothing to see, then an investigation... If I were Andrew and there was nothing to see, I would welcome an investigation because I would think... This is going to shine a light on it all. We'll get to the bottom of it. Uh, we'll get to the end of it. You know, the point is, even if he did sleep with uh, with this girl, she was 17, that is not a criminal offence in this country. You know, I'd want to get it all out in the open so that you could just cauterise it and stop it. Mm. Um, and this constant sort of kicking it into long grass, of which this is just another, you know, episode, just makes it, just makes him look worse, I think. You know, I just really do. If there's nothing to see, let's see it. That's what I say. <laughs> That's the quote. If there's nothing to see, let's see let's it. Let's see it. I want to see nothing. I want to see the nothing. I want <laughs> to see the nothing. So, Richard, there was a fascinating report in The Times a few days ago quoting a friend of the Duke of Cambridge saying that Andrew was, quote, unquote, a risk and a threat to the family. What, what do you make of that? Is that? Do you think that's true? My goodness. When I, I read this, this article, it was on Saturday evening and... Oh, the quotes in there about Prince Andrew were not very flattering. There was some very uh, tough when language. When was the last time we read a flattering quote about um, Prince Andrew? From friends of Prince William. Yeah. And Fergie. 
Clear, <laughs> clearly yeah. that Prince William just um, is worried, obviously, about the long-term future of the royal family and, and the damage that Andrew can do. And he just clearly wants him off the scene. I mean, but the problem is Andrew maintains he's completely innocent and he doesn't want it to look like he's done something wrong. But I, I think William's view now, like his father, is probably, frankly, it doesn't matter if you've committed any crime or whatever. You're just, because of your friendship with Jeffrey Epstein you're associated with um, such awful things that mm. just you, you pose a threat in that way. What do you think? Maybe we should have a viewer competition. What, mm -hmm. what, what's to be done with Andrew? Clearly the government won't want him back on his old sort of ambassadorial roles for the economy. What, 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 what would you suggest? Well, environmental causes are very popular at the moment. Maybe we could get Jeff Bezos to shoot him off into space. <laughs> I, I think he should In a rather be, phallic rocket. I think he, I think yeah. he could be given... One-way ticket. Yeah. I think he could be given a sort of royal role. He could be put in charge of Sandring Mistace or Windsor or something. And What, like a groundskeeper? <laughs> Okay, a glorified groundskeeper. Yeah. To, to be fair, like Prince Philip was um, warden of um, Windsor Great but the Park. Thing, the Perhaps he could do that. But yeah. the problem we've got is that we've got this Ghislaine Maxwell trial coming down the rails, and I think that's going to be a car crash for him, for Andrew, because inevitably stuff is going to come out in that. Wow. Inevitably. I mean, it might not be anything that, that is incriminating, but it'll just be more facts, more detail, more, more churning of this sort of barrel of worms or whatever it is. You know, it's just, it just feels, yeah, it's just, you know. And I also wonder how much of this, you know, slight burying head in sand by the royal family, re-Andrew, is to do with the Queen and just not wanting her to have to deal with it. This to be her sort of like her legacy yeah, and her exactly memories yeah. of her last moments on yeah. earth. I mean, yeah, and I sort of get that. I think that's yeah. fair enough. I do think that's fair enough. I think she's been through an awful lot, mm. and I think that you know, protecting her is is a good thing to do. And I think if this helps, then that's. Gosh, it's fascinating, and it's rumbling on and mm. on and on. But well. We have no more time left today in this episode of Palace Confidential. I'm very sorry, but thank you for watching. And my thanks, as always, to Rebecca English, Sarah Vine and Richard Eden, and to you for watching. We'll see you next week. Goodbye.